When Amber Lee was 16, she went to an amusement park with her friends. And she wrote about it in her journal. We went on a lot of rides and scoped out all the babes. And oh, were there a lot of them. I mean, I was drooling on myself. My clothes have yet to dry. In fact, in fact, if you wrung out my clothes from all that drooling, I'm sure there'd be enough water to supply the third world countries for a year. That's Amber Lee reading from the journal she kept when she was 16. And this, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at Yuck Yucks in Ottawa, we have a champion high-jumping snake, an underwhelming sex ed class, and we find out what it's like to have a summer job in a cemetery. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, it is funny and heartbreaking, and it also has a lot to say about who we are today. If you want to know who you are, it helps to understand who you were. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. When Elizabeth was in grade 8, she wrote a book report for English class. So the question for the book report was, where would your character prefer to vacation and why? My response was, in my book, my character would like to go to Pluto. I think because it's so far away from the sun, they won't get tired, because the sun makes vampires tired. Teacher's response, Pluto would not sustain life. And I got a C. Now, Elizabeth was usually an A student, not a C student, and she was not pleased with her teacher's analysis of where her book's main character would prefer to vacation. So, she wrote back. If you haven't noticed yet, I'm reading a story about a vampire. (laughs) Vampires don't have the same metabolism. Anyways, if we go back to the question, it says, and I quote... Explain where the main character would prefer to go. It does not say where they have gone or where they will go. The only reason I wrote that she would go to Pluto is because it says so in the book. So if you have any problems with her place being Pluto, take it up with the author. I got an A in that class. Oh, snap. When David was growing up, he had a friend named Debbie. They met in grade three, and they are still friends to this day. And at our Ottawa show, David brought along a letter he wrote to Debbie. 
And in order to understand this letter, you need to know David wrote it from Florida when he was 16. You also need to know that Debbie and I came out to each other at 14 years old, okay? So, yeah, yeah. Gay boy, Key West in the 70s. And as a quick heads up, David's letter to Debbie acknowledges the existence of sex, and it also includes some cuss words, which we do not bleep. Okay, here's David writing to his friend Debbie. What you missed, you really want to know? Nothing. Except maybe depression, desperation. Well, I did it. I fell in love. That's not enough. Dave's in love with me, too. All this was decided less than 20 hours before my departure. Oh, how I failed as a homosexual. (laughs) It's now 3.30 a.m. Tuesday. I'm writing this here. I can't sleep. It was so cute the way he told me, literally translated from an English-French dictionary. He wrote, J'ai l'amour toi. Maybe I'm, two words, overreacting. Maybe he's trying to tell me I have the love you. (laughs) The radio's playing the most depressing fucking music. The biggest decision right now is whether to sit here until 7 o'clock and then go to breakfast or go to the club baths. I'm having anxiety. (sighs) I've encountered the most beautiful, fabulous body I've ever met and the most beautiful eyes behind those cardenas. We begin sodomy. (laughs) It lasts forever. We shower together. It's wonderful. He's so gorgeous. A hard, perfect body. Just the right amount of body here. Perfect deltoids, perfect biceps, perfect groin. He's perfect. Nothing has compared to him to this day. Mr. Wright has just stepped into my life. But he informs me that he has to go back to Miami. At the end of the night, he says, see ya. And I said, will I? He says, oh no. (laughs) Maybe going back to Miami tomorrow. I say, well, I'll be at the Monster, a bar. He winks, we kiss tenderly, then violently, (laughs) then tenderly again. I stand at the door and watch the Chevy Chevette pull away. He waves, has Mr. Wright left me for good? He's so gorgeous. They're playing Macho Man on the radio. (laughs) And do you think I'm sexy? And take me home. I'm feeling sick, but I'm looking forward to sunning tomorrow. (laughs) I'm going to the monster now. I'm going to see if I can find myself another person who I can spend more time with. Oh, God, I feel sick. (laughs) I feel so sick. I think uh, when I first came across those letters, uh, I guess about a month or so ago, I had uh, wondered why I had them, uh, since I had written them to Debbie, of course. And when I asked her, she said that she remembers reading them, but really that's it. 
But then I remembered, of course, that back then, Debbie had spent far more time at my parents' home than her own. So it shouldn't have come as a surprise that they ended up in, uh, in my papers. Like I said, David and Debbie are still friends to this day. And David sent me a really great photo of him and Debbie from when they were growing up together in the 1970s. In fact, we have photos of all of the readers from our Ottawa show. They are up at our Facebook page. Just look for grown-ups read things they wrote as kids or follow the link in the show notes on your device right now. You know, letters like the one David wrote to Debbie can be tricky because for a very long time, sending a letter meant you didn't have that letter anymore. So if your childhood best friend sent you a letter and you still have it in your possession... Do your friend a favor. Send them a copy. They will thank you. Becoming a teenager means lots of things. Often it means being angry at the world and not knowing why. It means wanting to be in a relationship but not understanding how. And it means feeling the effects of hormones, but not quite understanding exactly what that means. Our next reader, Sarah, she brought along journal entries that cover all of those topics and more. Now, Sarah wrote these when she was 12 and 13, just becoming a teenager. And like a lot of teenage journal entries, they include a few cuss words. Okay, there's your heads up. Here's Sarah. September 15th, 2001. I hate humans. All of them. This one's worse than the last. I hate all beings. I hate intelligent life forms. I hate being one. (laughs) September 23rd, 2002. I'm lost and confused, and I don't know what I think or what I feel, and I'm mad and sad and ashamed and hopeful, and somewhere deep inside of me, there's a little world with little people, and everyone has their own thoughts, and they're all mine, and it bugs me. (laughs) First of all, I hate my life. I hate my father. I hate this planet. I hate my friends. Nothing matters. I don't care anymore, but I still end up crying. I don't get it. (laughs) Then, of course, there's the bit that's still fantastically in love with soccer and is overjoyed that I finally have the info for Mistral. And then there's this other bit that's thinking that if I were with someone, it wouldn't be so bad and I could relax. That would be great. And there's another part that's pissed off with school and can't handle any of it and doesn't see the point and is so frustrated. And then there's this little tiny bit that's blaming everything on my nose. (laughs) February 3rd, 2003. Orgasms, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Muscle contractions, according to Tina, dot, dot, dot. Is that what happens to me sometimes? (laughs) When it feels all fluttery, when I really want a guy, or I'm thinking sexual stuff and such? Is that what's going on? (laughs) 
This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. When Rebecca was 16, she got a summer job working in a cemetery. And at our show in Ottawa, she read a few journal excerpts from that summer. Now, a quick heads up, Rebecca's reading does include a few cuss words, which we do not bleep. There is your heads up. Here's Rebecca. Here I sit in the bathtub, surrounded by ice-cold water, listening to Mozart. Today hit a humidex temperature of 45 degrees Celsius. Considering that I have to work in it, with the blazing sun on my head, I ought to be thankful I'm still alive. I'm telling you, it's a conspiracy. Somebody out, or up there, is trying to tell me something. I have lost all faith in God. And by the way, if you do exist, first of all, this is none of your business. And also, you can't blame me for questioning your existence. After all, kids are still starving to death in Ethiopia. I have been feeling such guilt pangs lately. Even today, when I went to help Jim lower a newborn's coffin into its grave, I dropped it. It was such a horrifying experience, wondering if the coffin would open as it hit the bottom, and then hearing the thing thud dully as it finally did. A couple of weeks ago, I peeked into an unlocked casket to find an old man with hairy eyebrows. It didn't even faze me a bit. It looked like a wax figure with all the makeup. My first intact dead person was a disappointment. I was rather impressed, however, watching bodies burn in the crematorium. Seeing John crack open a skull like a nutshell to reveal its frying brains was quite a thrill, but nevertheless a bit morbid. Even seeing old George T's leg bone after he'd been underground for 35 years sent a sort of thrilled sensation through my body. But my first pangs of respect for the dead came to me at the newborn's burial. The kid had potential. He could have been sitting just as I am, listening to the beauty of Mozart. He was barely given a chance or even a little taste of the world. It's a miserable place, but it's a hell of an experience, I can tell you. The ultimate experience is love. It sounds corny, I know, but I said it and it's the damn truth. A person hasn't lived until they have been in love with someone who loves you right back. New entry. I don't want to love anymore. I hate it. I have gotten no rewards from it, only pain and frustration. Life is bleak. If I can't find happiness in love, where in this damn fucking world can I find it? Mum says men like to feel superior. But what does mum know? She has an IQ smaller than her shoe size. Which is seven and a half. I hope I didn't inherit it. What a ditz. Self-righteous, pompous, hypocritical whore. Is what she is. More of a PMS-stricken landlady than a mother. She'll pay someday. 
I'll stick her in a home for the invalid in Siberia. I'll send her a postcard from my home in Spain at Christmas, but that's all. I want to go back to school looking completely different. Sexy, I hope. I want to be beautiful and voluptuous. I want to give guys hard-ons at the bat of my eye. I fear I shall always be a little girl with little girl clothes and a little girl face. One of these days, I'm going to shock the world. Why the beautiful angel about the halls? Hath she come to announce tidings of great joy? No. She hath come to make if thy penises arise in greeting. What strikes me most about these entries is the complete emotional detachment in my experience with corpses. Now, when I think of all those people, I think of the pain of the loss, you know, especially the parents of the newborn. Um, Like, I'm a parent myself, and I can't fathom how excruciating it must have been And I guess because of my lack of life experience at the time, um, it just didn't seem to register with me. One thing that I was able to appreciate about the experience of working in a cemetery was a very early sense of the separateness between our bodies and who we are. And that gave me this enduring conviction that um, there's more to us than the sum of our physical processes, you know, and whatever it is about us that's outside of that maybe continues on somehow. Kids are naturally curious about the world around them. But when our next reader, Sarah, was 12, she was especially inquisitive. In fact, she had so many questions, she decided to write a list. And at our Ottawa show, she read from that list, which was titled... Things I'm curious slash want to learn about. Learn how telephone busy signals work. How to cure eyesight. How the earth came to be like it is now, how copies of books are made, how bindings are made to books, (laughs) is all fabric made by single threads woven together, how the human body works, learn all about spirits in the body and unconsciousness, learn about gravity and non-gravity in the universe, especially Earth. How to walk in stilettos without falling over? How to make primary colors? (laughs) How artifacts stay intact over thousands of years? How computer animation works? 
how to work a cash register. (laughs) Where drugs came from. (laughs) Does God exist? How black and white cameras work. Learn how to be a housewife in times of need. (laughs) How much do the CIA know that the public doesn't? What's it like to be a weatherman? Thank you. I think it's fair to say that Wikipedia has been a welcome addition to Sarah's life. Short fiction is always popular at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, especially weird short fiction. And our next reader, Brad, he brought along exactly that. This is a story Brad wrote when he was 11 or 12 years old. And when he signed up to read this, Brad wrote... Quote, it's a story about a record-breaking, high-jumping snake named Jackson Alphabet that I rescued chasing cars in downtown Pittsburgh. Please welcome to our stage, Brad. My name is Ajax Fruit Loop. And I have the best snake in Philadelphia. My snake is six feet inches long and weighs three and a half pounds. My snake's name is Jackson Lincoln Franklin Cleon Roosevelt Johnson. He is a pure albino snake. I call him Jackson Alphabet for short. I found Jackson Alphabet chasing cars in downtown Pittsburgh one Saturday afternoon, and I thought that was no place for anything to be running around, especially a snake which is not noted for its running ability. I picked him up and went across the street to a Chinese restaurant and asked for a doggy bag. (laughs) I put the snake in the doggy bag and went home happily to my house in Philadelphia. I first noticed that this was a strange snake when I came home from school one day and saw Jackson Alphabet jumping over our backyard fence. It startled me at first, but then I thought, if he could jump... Maybe he could jump at the annual fair here in Philadelphia. I started coaching Jackson Alphabet and soon had him jumping six and seven feet with regularity. The record for snake jumping is eight feet three and three quarter inches. A few times Jackson Alphabet tried for the record, but to no avail. We got to the fair early so Jackson Alphabet could practice a bit. Finally, we got our chance. We gathered with all all the other contestants and then the MC called our name. I had a few butterflies as Jackson Alphabet went ripping up to the bar, coiled, sprang up, and landed. I ran up to see how it was. Eight feet three, not bad, I said aloud. (laughs) But really, I had a nice warm feeling down in my stomach. That was it. No other snake even tried to jump. (laughs) After that, things went pretty good for Jackson Alphabet and me. The next two years in a row, we won the snake jumping contest at the fair. Then, on July 9th, 1973, Jackson Alphabet jumped 8 feet 4 inches, the new world record! 
It was the greatest thrills of our careers. <laughs> now I've been chosen to bring my snake to Steubenville, Ohio on October 6th, 1973 for the World Snake Jumping Contest. <laughs> when October 6th arrived, Jackson Alphabet and I packed our luggage and took the first plane to Steubenville. We arrived early in the afternoon. The following day, Jackson Alphabet would be jumping at the Coliseum here. We got a good night's sleep, and then we took off for the Coliseum. There were snakes from all over the world. There were Chinese, Japanese, French, English, dozens of other kinds of snakes. It happened so fast. Jackson Alphabet was the first jumper. He ran up, coiled, sprang up, and landed. Wow, 11 feet, eight and a half inches. He had jumped three feet, four and a half inches higher than his record. The other snakes all went yelping away. J.A. was the best snake jumper in the whole world. One day I came home from school and saw Jackson Alphabet pole vaulting over our backyard fence. It startled me at first, but then I became interested. If he could pole vault, maybe he could vault at the fair here in Philadelphia. I look forward to that being made into a major motion picture. Yeah. <laughs> Our next reader, Desi, brought along two diary entries written when she was 14, and they deal with two very different but equally cringeworthy parts of growing up. Adolescent taste in music and an awkward sex ed health class. Please welcome to the Grown Up Street Things They Wrote As Kids stage, Desi. CDs I'm ashamed to have bought in the last six years. This is from 1997. TLC, crazy, sexy, cool. Stupid, clueless fool. Paula Abdul, spellbound. Was I spellbound when I bought that? In excess, elegantly wasted, elegantly wasted my money. <laughs> Monica, Miss Thing, I wish I would have missed that thing. <laughs> Brian Adams, so far so good, too long, so bad. <laughs> and finally, Melissa Etheridge, your little secret sucks, and that's no secret. <laughs> Uh, November 1998. Today in health class, we were supposed to talk about sex, finally. <laughs> finally is underlined. Instead, we pretty much just talked about pubic hair. That's pubic hair, Lisa, not public hair. Who, who wears thongs on PE days? So... My mom signed a permission slip so I could learn about hormones and pubic hair. Guess what? We all already know about that stuff because I'm pretty sure we all have it. How is this going to help us not get pregnant? <laughs> well, I don't... <laughs> I don't have to worry about that because I have nipple hair. <laughs> What am I supposed to do? Shave my nipples? 
I did. <laughs> Whatever. Wieners are stupid, and so is health class. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at Yuck Yucks in Ottawa and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Lullatone and Poddington Bear. Now, as a live show, Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids has always been a word-of-mouth kind of thing. And the podcast, it's the same way. So if you like the show and you know someone who might like it too, let them know. Believe me personal recommendations go a long way. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Most of them were recommended by friends whose taste I trust. So if you like Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, do me a favor and recommend it to a friend. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>